0: Advent is about waiting. For 700 years after Isaiah wrote his promise that a child would come, Jesus was born. When Isaiah gave that promise, he said that the child, the Messiah, would have four different names, four titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This Advent, we're taking a pause through our sermon series, the Gospel of Mark, to consider each of these titles given to Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to look at the first title Jesus is our wonderful counselor. If you're able, please stand for reading of God's Word. I'll be reading two different passages this morning. The first, taken from Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. will do this. And now First Corinthians chapter one, beginning with verse 18, Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. From a very young age, you and I learn to engage our world with questions. Children learn by asking questions, and children ask the best questions. But the thing I love most about children and the way that they ask questions is the innocence at which they ask them. A child will go up to just about any adult And when they ask them a question, they believe that that adult knows the answer. And if you're an adult this morning, you know that that's just simply not always true, is it? But there it is. A child with trust and wonder at the world will tug at your sleeve and ask, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green Why is this thing the way that it is? Why is the world the way that God made it to be? Over time, as we grow older, these questions become more complicated and more complex. And as we ask these questions, as we grow into adulthood, these questions are no longer backed by wonder. These questions... Are tinged with doubt. Questions that perhaps you are asking even this morning. Questions that the people of God had been asking for centuries. Questions like, How long, O Lord? How long will you allow this suffering to continue? Questions like, God, where are you? Are you still here? Do you even hear the cry of our prayers? When I was in high school, I asked questions like these. And when I found that the answers did not satisfy, these questions became doubt. So the thing I want us all to be honest about this morning as we begin Advent together Where do you go when your questions are not answered? Where do you go when your deepest questions have no easy answer? This morning, we're looking at the first of four titles that Isaiah the prophet gives Jesus the Christ on the occasion of his birth. The first title is Wonderful Counselor. It's a title that perhaps you don't think of when you think about the birth of Jesus. Maybe you think of Emmanuel, which means God with us, a title that Isaiah gives earlier in Isaiah chapter 7. Maybe you think of Prince of Peace or Mighty God. But what does it mean that Jesus is our Wonderful Counselor? There are some who actually think that in the Hebrew, it's actually two different words, wonderful, counselor. I think that's somewhat helpful. You see, the word wonderful in Hebrew means supernatural. It means beyond all that we can even think or imagine. It means that God truly is so wonderful that he fills us with wonder And with awe, that there is no one who can compare to him. And when you put that with the word counselor, it means something beyond what you and I could ever ask for or imagine. When you and I think of the word counselor, so often we think of therapist. But you see, to say Jesus is our wonderful counselor is not to say that Jesus is a good therapist where we can just bring our problems to him. Now, you see, in the Old Testament, a counselor was one who was wise. A counselor was the person that you went to when you had questions that had no answer. And you would go to a counselor because you believed this wise, all-knowing person would have the answers that you wanted. Jesus is our wonderful counselor because he is the very wisdom of God incarnate. And what that means for you and me this morning is that not only does Jesus have the answer to our deepest questions, but what I want us all to see is that Jesus is the answer to our deepest questions. The first way I want us to see this, I want us to see that Jesus is the answer to our doubts. To look at Jesus as our wonderful counselor, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It may seem like a strange way to begin Advent together, kind of an odd Christmas passage. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle Paul is writing to help us understand the difference between the wisdom of human beings and the wisdom of God. So I want you to look with me. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, this is what Paul says. Paul writes that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And what does that mean? Well, the word of the cross is the message of the gospel. It's the story of Jesus that Jesus took on flesh. He is God made man. And Jesus, fully God, fully man, lived a sinless life so that he could go to the cross to die in your place and rise again so that our sins would be forgiven, that our debt would be paid. And one day this same story, tells us that Jesus Christ will come again. And what the Apostle Paul is wanting us to see is that this story is absolute foolishness to an unbelieving world. It's a story that is impossible to believe without the gift of faith. Paul says that it is folly, It's folly because it makes no worldly sense. In verse 19, we're told that Apostle Paul quotes, Well, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And then he asks a question. Where is the one who is wise? For centuries, human beings have tried to answer that question. Plato. Socrates. Socrates. Aristotle, Confucius, Gandhi, Shakespeare, Da Vinci, Einstein, Hawking. They all have one thing in common. Every one of them is limited by human wisdom. The Apostle Paul asks, where is the one who is wise? You and I, when we seek answers, so often we go to books. We go to philosophy we think that we can just look it up. But what Paul's helping us to see this morning is that there is a big difference between the wisdom of humanity and the wisdom of God. And God, in his wisdom, chose what is foolish to the world to be our saving faith. Prophet Isaiah told us in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It's our theme verse for Advent. He said, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah prophesied that he would come. Isaiah elaborated on this prophecy earlier in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I want you to listen. Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel." In that one verse, there is so much foolishness to an unbelieving world. Think about what we believe as Christians. This morning if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you call yourself a Christian, you believe that these words are true, that this promise was fulfilled. We believe that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to be born of a virgin, that this virgin conceived... That she bore a son, and then she named him Emmanuel, which means God with us. She named him that because he is the Son of God. That's what we believe, and it's the foundation of our faith. I think sometimes because we have grown up in a place like Dallas, Texas, it's a story that we take for granted. And every year when we come upon Christmas, we rehearse the story without really thinking about what we are saying, because it's a story that is beyond human comprehension. It surpasses human wisdom. It's a story that fills us with wonder and with awe. God chose what is absolute foolishness to an unbelieving world to turn our doubts into faith. You see, because you cannot confront doubt with human wisdom, the only thing that can give an answer to our doubt is the wonder of Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul put it this way in verse 21. He said, "'For since in the wisdom of God "'the world did not know God through wisdom, "'it pleased God through the folly of what we preach.'" To save those who believe, Jesus is the answer to our doubts because God chose what is foolish to bring us to faith. The second thing I want us to see this morning is that Jesus, as our wonderful counselor, is the answer to our deepest desires. I want you to look with me at verse 22. Paul continues, and he says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. Not only is Jesus foolishness to a skeptical world, but Jesus is also a stumbling block, Paul says. Now what does that mean? He's saying that, you and I trip over the story of Jesus because it's the last thing that we might expect. The word stumbling block in the Greek is the word scandalon. It's where we get the word scandal. In other words, the story of Jesus is scandalous. It's scandalous all the way back to the manger. The prophet Isaiah told the people of God that a child would be born, that a son would be given, and that the government should rest upon his shoulder. It's an idea that he continues in verse 7. I want you to look with me, Isaiah 9, verse 7. Isaiah said, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. Now I want you to, for a moment, imagine what it was like to hear those words for the first time. Those words written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. The people of God were about to be put into exile. They were in the middle of a war. They could see the darkness creeping in all around them. Their nation was being torn apart before their very eyes. They were filled with fear, and they were longing for deliverance. Their greatest desire was that God would send a rescuer to reestablish their kingdom on earth. And so when they heard these words from the prophet Isaiah, what do you think they expected? They thought, finally, God is coming to our rescue. He's going to send a king leading an army, a warrior with a sword in his fist to bring back our kingdom. But that's not what God sent. The gospel of Luke tells us about the birth of Jesus. Luke tells us that Joseph was betrothed to a woman named Mary. Joseph was poor, a carpenter. Mary, a virgin, who had now conceived the Son of God in her womb by the Holy Spirit. They had gone for the census, and because every hotel was full, they could not find a place not only to sleep, but for Mary to give birth It's a story that if you've grown up around Christmas, you've heard before. But again, I want you to stop and think just how truly wonderful this story is. It is beyond all human wisdom. They could find no place to rest their heads and no place for Mary to give birth. And so they went to a stable, And there in the darkness and in the smell of a stable meant for animals, Mary gave birth to the Savior of the world. The Bible tells us that she laid him in a manger. Around this time every year, we put mangers all over our house. Yet how often do we stop to think, What this manger really was. A manger is a feeding trough, a place where animals go to eat. I want you to think about just how dirty and smelly a manger actually was. And then I want you to ask yourself this question Would you ever put a child down in a manger? Why? Because Luke tells us, Luke 2, verse 12, that the manger was a sign. A sign that Jesus would be the answer to our deepest desires. Maybe not the desires that you and I feel each and every day, but the real desire, our deepest desire in our hearts. Jesus was laid in a manger as a sign of of what was to come. You see, Jesus took on our poverty, the poverty of our spirit, and the poverty of our flesh, so that one day he could go to the cross. Jesus Christ, the Savior of our world, the King of kings, would come, not leading an army with a sword in his fist, but Jesus Christ would save the world by being pierced through giving himself up to die for you and for me so that all who trust in his name are wonderful counselor, so that all who trust in his name might be saved. God chose what is foolishness to give us faith, and he chose what is a scandal to meet our every desire. The last thing I want us to see this morning, I want us to see that Jesus is the answer to our darkness. I want you to look with me the last two verses, First Corinthians, chapter one, verse 24. Paul writes, "But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, look, Jesus is foolishness to the skeptical, to the unbeliever. Jesus is a stumbling block to the religious, to the self-righteous, to the one who expects to be delivered on their own terms. But to all who believe, Jesus is the wisdom of God, And the power of God. And this is what I want you to notice about that statement. I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say Jesus has the wisdom of God. So many people try to make Jesus out to be a just good teacher or some kind of wise moral leader. But Jesus is not just some guru that we can go to with our questions and find wisdom. Paul says that Jesus is the wisdom of God of God. He is God's wisdom incarnate and if Jesus is God's wisdom then that means Jesus is God's power and you and I could use some of God's power today. Isaiah's prophecy Isaiah chapter 9 begins with this preamble. We used it for our words of assurance this morning because they are words that give us hope. Isaiah wrote this, Isaiah 9 verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them, light has shone. In the Gospel of John, we are told that these words have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1, verse 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the Greek, the word is logos, the word for wisdom. In the beginning was the Word. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You and I live in a dark world. It's one of those images in the Bible that needs little explanation because we experience this darkness every single day. And we feel it now, don't we? Darkness in our country, with so much division and so much fear. Darkness in our world, a global pandemic. We wonder how long will this last? The darkness of loneliness. And the way that we are so isolated from one another, trying to interact as human beings as best we can, but we feel it deep in our bones that we belong together in community, and yet we can't. 2,000 years ago, the people walked in darkness too. Darkness unlike anything we experience today. Such utter darkness, that they were constantly in fear. And Isaiah gave them this promise. The light is coming. Hope is on the way. This last week, I've been reading several articles about Christmas lights and how early people have been putting up their Christmas lights this year. It's not just that people are putting up their lights before Thanksgiving, Know this article and really a series of articles all over the world are talking about how people were putting up Christmas lights as early as Halloween. Why? Well, in each interview, every single family said the exact same thing: They were putting up their Christmas lights early, not because well they were there to buy in a commercial world, or because they just wanted to get a, a jump start on Christmas no. Each and every one of them said that they put up their Christmas lights early because they needed hope. Because this was the darkest year they'd ever experienced, and they just wanted a little hope. You see, in the same way that darkness needs little explanation to us, neither does light. Light is the universal symbol for hope. And what the prophet Isaiah is wanting us to see this morning is that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And as people who walked in darkness 2,000 years ago waited for the light to come, we are waiting again. We find ourselves in the midst of a long advent, waiting In the darkness for the light of Christ to come again. And we hate waiting. The season of Advent teaches us to wait. See, in that way, the season of Advent is more about darkness than it is about light. Advent teaches us to wait in the dark. It teaches us to see that the darkness in our world not only exists all around us, but it exists in our hearts as well. John says in the gospel that we prefer the darkness rather than the light. That even though Jesus, the light of the world, came, we rejected him. The darkness of the sin that we see in in this world is deep in our hearts, and we need Jesus Christ to come and illuminate our souls. Jesus is the answer to our darkness. Because as we look around this dark world and we ask the question, How long, O Lord? How long will you let us suffer? God, where are you in all of this darkness? This Advent teaches us that God has answered that question. God, where are you? God has come. His name is Emmanuel. He is God with us. This Advent I want you to see Jesus Christ as your wonderful counselor. And I invite you to bring all of your doubts, all of your desires, and all of your darkness to him and find the answer in Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the season of Advent, a season where we force ourselves to be honest about the darkness around us and the darkness in our own souls. And we thank you. We thank you that the gift of Advent tells us that Advent will soon be over and that Christmas Day will come. And so once again, we pray to you this morning that you would give us faith, that you would give us wonder, and that this Advent, as we wait for the birth of Jesus, that you would give us great hope as we long for the day when Christ will come again. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.